me pone un, un hipótesis. Si tú no quieres hablar conmigo, dímelo para yo no llamarte ni molestarte, porque nada más quedaba tú. Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Yeah! Welcome, everyone, to another He's Just Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the He's Just a Social Worker Movement, Jules Duget, with another amazing show for you today. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone that this platform was built because we as people, too often we were overlooked and labeled, but this is no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Inspiration is when you believe in yourself and that in what you are. To be inspired is when you know there is something inside of you that is greater than that obstacle. Turbulence, these are the stepping stones to your strength and resilience. Our guest today used those opportunities for growth. As it fueled him and still fuels him today, he is determined to overcome all challenges. Damon M. Grayson, also known as DMG, hails from the streets of Compton, California, where he battled police brutality, discrimination, and the crack epidemic of the 1980s. Rising above adversity, he became a single father at age 23 and ventured into music production. Founding Westwear Clothing Company, his brand gained global recognition with the support from icons like Snoop Dogg, Coolio, and Warren G, to name a few. Damon's commitment to his community led to mentoring initiatives and the establishment of the Catchem Young Foundation, where students and learners were able to explore and learn in avenues and places that they would not venture had it not been for DMG. He is also the author of a book, A Smash, When His Ways Meet Yours, When You Love You, He Will Follow Suit. It's a book about love and inspiration written for women who want the best for their lives. Despite personal setbacks, including homelessness, DMG has rebounded time and time again. He now spearheads an online marketing firm named MyWordsOfWisdom.com alongside his eldest son. Together, they are on a mission to inspire others worldwide. Father, mentor, life coach, entrepreneur, author, philanthropist, motivational speaker. DMG is more than just. Damon, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Jules. Happy to be here. You know, the one thing about this show that got me excited, and I'm going to get this out the way early. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. West Side! I just have That's to right. put that out there. Always. <laughs> Before anything is said, usually I let our guests walk into their path and let our listeners learn from them, from their journey. But your journey is so beautiful. Early on, walk us through 1996 to start out. Your story is unmatched by many. When we look at this, 1996, you hit the music scene, your first major album release. What was that like? It was great. It was fun. Um, we recorded the album. The album was called DMG and Daddy V. It's just a ghetto thing. That was the name of the group. And then the name of the album was just a ghetto thing. 
Um, I funded the whole album myself. I recorded the album. I mixed uh, mixed the album, um, produced the album. I was on my own label. Um, it was fun. The whole process was fun. Being in the studio is like second nature to me. Recording and um, just creating is second nature to me. So I love it. I love it. I love it a lot. Well, as we look at your storyline, which again is so beautiful, early on, 1996, you're already making music. 1997, your first international tour, you launch Westwear Clothing and Snoop Dogg becomes an ambassador for your wear. What was that like and what was happening? Well, uh, in 96, we came out with the album and that led us to the tour in uh, 97. Um, and that's where, well, the tour became in 97, um, basically in Japan. We toured all of Japan. Um, and with us doing those shows and performing, uh, we joined, we, we started Westwell. Me and my par- ex-partner, we started Westwell because he was, he was a Japanese guy and he was coming to downtown LA into Compton, buying anything urban and take it back to Japan and sell it. Anything that he felt that they'll love, he bought it. So I ended up selling, well, I had somebody else to sell him some CDs um, of our album. A week later, he contacted us and said, do you want to come? We went to perform. And a year later or so, we started doing the Westwear. So one, I think it was around December, because what I did was manufacture the clothes, and I used to ship it to Japan every month. Every once in a while, if we needed something real fast, I would just fly out there and ship it, I mean, take it myself. So I could just go, it'll go straight through uh, customs and I just pay the duties and that's it, instead of it sitting in customs for a whole week. So when I went out there, um, it just so happened that Snoop had some concerts there and my ex-partner's wife knew the promoter. So we went to the hotel, waited for him to come out and as soon as he came out, he said, yo, yo, DMG and Daddy V is in motion. And that's what I used to always put on my mixtapes. So he knew me. He used to buy mixtapes for me, and I didn't even know he was Snoop Dogg at the time because he wasn't Snoop Dogg at the, at the, at the beginning. So we connected. Um, he had a few more shoes, shows to do in Hawaii, and I, I went back home about a week later, and that's how we connected, um, and it was, it was on from there. Beautiful. I mean, right now, just listening just to these two years, your young stardom is, like, hitting you, but I could see that business mindset already in you. Because to think about you making those moves overseas and making sure that your product was there and that it was tight, kudos to you and to your partner, of course. As we go forward, and now we're looking at 1999. Now, you work with Mr. Joe Jackson. That is correct. correct. Joe Jackson, the father of the Jacksons. What was going on right now, and and how did you get there? Well, um, I had... I was looking for an investor for my record. Uh, I was looking for an investor earlier for, for my record company. I didn't find it, so that's why I had to, you know, do everything myself. But at the time, um, I put a proposal together for my friends. This guy who was in the industry back in the day, and he so so called had a whole lot of money. So I put the proposal together. He was shocked that it was so good, um, and he said, "I'm going to meet, uh, introduce you to some somebody," and it was happened to be Joe Jackson. So, you know, I'm not starstruck. I've been around a lot of people, the top, I've been around a lot of people. Um, So we go meet him and he let me listen to, well, he's not here to say that. 
he let me listen to an artist and he was okay. So I said, I'll work with him. So we ended up doing a couple of, di- uh, a couple of songs and, um, it was just, well, put it this way. The first night that we left, like I said, I'm, I don't, I'm not getting star. I don't get starstruck, but once I left, I was starstruck. So, I mean, that's, that's the father of Michael Jackson, you know? So we worked for a while and, um, the mindset that I had at the time, because it's about, it's called the music business. So when I'm creating the music, I'm having a whole lot of fun. But when it comes to business, it's about the business side. And so I think it was a mistake that I made. I stopped the project because I wasn't getting paid. But I should have looked at it like it was an investment and it's just going to take a little bit of time. But at, at the time, I was a single father, too. So, you know, trying to juggle my son and then go work over here for free for a little while it just didn't match up mm-hmm. so i stopped the project but it was exciting while i was doing it it was very exciting and he said he was gonna let michael listen uh listen to it. and i remember when he said it we were in Cena at the house where michael jackson and you know the jackson grew up he said uh, i'm gonna let michael listen to it. and i said michael who and he looked at me with those evil eyes and said my son and I was like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? But when somebody says, I'm going to let Michael listen to it, you don't even think that they're talking about Michael Jackson, you know, even though that was his, you know, son. But mm-hmm. it was it was fun times back then. It was it was real exciting. Real exciting. Well, kudos to you. And obviously you were around, like, how how old were you then? About 28. So think about it. Being hit with probably working for free and not having that opportunity probably had you thinking, hey, right now, I am in the middle of this and I know I got a great product, but I need to make money. I do. I do have yeah. a family to feed. So I definitely do understand that. And that becomes a difficult thing to like juggle. Now, when we're looking at moving forward, 2001, there is some stuff that's happening already within your community. You start focusing your work for the youth, the Greater Hope Society. What was that and why was that important to you at that time? Well, that was important then, and it's important now. It's been important my whole entire life. I started a nonprofit organization called Catchem Young Foundation back then, too. Um, and what I did was take boys from five years old to nine years old. And most nonprofit organizations that do what I'm doing don't start at five years old because that's baby, basically babysitting kids. But it was okay with me. I funded everything. We went to all the museums in LA, the Flying Museum in Santa Monica. I took them to Elvera Street. This is like a little alley where all you see is like Spanish. They have, it's only everything Spanish. Mm-hmm. But so I took them there to learn different cultures. Some of the kids didn't know how to spell their names. They didn't know how to tie their shoes. I taught them leadership and that's just in me to do. So when I started uh, my version, uh, Westwear on the West Coast, I had a woman who was coming in to work for me and she knew a photographer at the, uh, at the newspaper. So they put it all together. We had pizza. I gave the guys clothes. This is when I had this big old giant um, embroidered machine. I had my recording studio there. I let them listen to music. I let them rap. I showed them about how to, you know, create businesses and stuff. It was it was real good. And that, they put it in the newspaper. Um, and those boys were inspired a whole lot by it. They, they, they learned a lot. I taught them a lot, too. So um, I wish I could have kept in touch with them. But for that day. It was like heaven for them. Mm. You know, just a lot of love for you and respect for the people who are out here. I try to model myself 
under those circumstances as well. It's never about me. It's always about the youth that's coming behind. And growing up in an urban setting myself, I also looked at the chance that I had. I didn't have the opportunity for music, but I used other avenues for outlets, such as having friends and playing stickball and things out in our community. And we bonded in that. We also learned about survival because we also were struck in a neighborhood that was filled with drugs and crime. And we had to make choices. And very seldom were there opportunities that a person from our neighborhood had a chance to do what you were doing. And there's this project that's in my mind so long since I've been young. We used to go to a place called Project Basement. And Project Basement was more than an after-school program for us. It actually saved me and many of our friends. You know, suffice to say, a lot of them have been caught up in crime. A lot of them passed away or died and they got caught in the game. But I also saw a lot of people learn about the fundamentals, learn about the fundamentals of business planning, mm -hmm. the fundamentals of work and using your lens, the fundamentals of being a man. So kudos to you for doing that work all the way back then. Like you could have turned your eye the other way and been like, look, I'm making money. I don't need, I don't even need to think about this yet. You still honor that. So, you know, hats off to you and, you know, people like yourself who are always thinking about the young, the youth that are up and coming. So now as you're moving forward, Damon, and now we're looking at your entry into managing your own group. Um, you went on a world tour around like 2005. What was that like for you? Oh, you talking about that tour. Um, yeah. I was a road manager for a guy named uh, Paris Escovito. Mm -hmm. It's actually Sheila E's cousin. He's, he's, he's Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. um, and I got that job because uh, I had met him at Jim Brown's house in uh, Hollywood Hills. And he told me he was working on the album, which he wasn't, <laughs> but that's what he told me. Um, and I told him I had a recording studio, but he he was into um, like Latin jazz. So uh, when me and him linked up, I'm not doing Latin jazz. You know, my stuff is basically R&B and hip hop. So what he did was take some of the R&B tracks that I gave him and just added percussion and stuff to it and then had a band to take over and record it. So he did... Uh, he did a he did an EP. He recorded an EP. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was five songs, five or six songs. And I think I, if it was six songs, I had five on there, and then somebody else produced one. Mm -hmm. um, then we got with ASCAP. ASCAP had a uh, had auditions for bands to go overseas. It was hundreds of bands. Mm -hmm. They had like three different rooms, and there were it was three bands at a time in each different room performing. And we made it through. Mm. So the guy who um, who was in charge of us, he said he was going to manage us. We were at a uh, at a at a uh, practice hall, at a, at a practice stage studio, mm -hmm. a rehearsal hall um, in Hollywood. And he was like, "No, D's going to be our manager, our role manager." And he looked like he was shocked. But the reason I got that job was because every time the the band performed. I was always where the engineer was because they never really did sound checks. Mm. So I'm mixing as they're performing. So I guess he saw that leadership in me and he wanted me to be the tour manager. Um, 
it was rough because the lead singer was acting like a diva and he was a man. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a roadie. I'm the manager, but he was always waking up late. And I started giving him, you know, how you get uh, you call the, 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 the people at the. Uh, you get the phone call in the morning. Mm -hmm. That wasn't enough. I had to literally go to his room. And I remember one time my back had gave out on me. But the bus was coming to pick us up to take us to the airport. And I had to literally carry this man's bags. Mm. And that wasn't cool. Um, but overall, the tour was real good. Uh, I learned a lot. We met a lot of people. And just traveling, being on tour is fun. Mm -hmm. It's fun. You meet a lot of different people, a lot of different food, a lot of different cultures. It was beautiful. I'd do it again. I don't think I'll be a role manager for a rapper, though. <laughs> not, not if you're going to hurt your back. But no. I, I want to like take a little back step on this because you talk about mixing and engineering and learning on the fly, so to speak. Before this, you were already the neighborhood or the area's mixtape king. Correct. When you got into DJ, walk us through a little bit how you got into the bag that way. When you began music, sort of creating music, how did you know that music was your outlet? When I was probably... I don't know, 13 years old. I don't know if you know, but the first rap radio station was here in LA. Um, I just went blank. Uh, K-Day, K-D-A-Y. Mm -hmm. It was an AM, AM station. And they used to have uh, mixes on the weekends and stuff. Dr. Dre was one of the DJs, mm -hmm. um, one of the original DJs. So I used to just record on my cassette. You know how you the cassette and you mm -hmm. just push record and then do your little edits yourself and stuff like that with the double cassette. I started off doing that um, just for the love of music. And then I remember when I was probably 15 years old, I got my first turntable. It was some Technique 100s, not even mm. 1200s, but they were 100s. Mm. And I had a Newmark mixer and um, that was good. Then I ended up getting me some Technique 1200s. And I ended up, I don't know if you guys know Mixmaster Spade on the East Coast, but mm -hmm. he was like the biggest rapper in Compton at the time. This was like in the um, 80s, late 80s. I ended up being his DJ. Mm. And that that was that was a beautiful time for me. But music has always just been in my life. Music, I, I started off rapping really because I didn't have any, you know, drum machine and stuff like that. I love to rap, I like to rap, but I don't want to be a rapper. I just I like doing music more than I like rapping. But that's how it started. Um, for me being being a DJ and starting with the mixtapes. The mixtapes started off. I started doing mixtapes when I was probably like 14 or 15, mm. just around the neighborhood. And then I was working for a shoe store called Kenny Shoes. Um, and I remember going on my vacation. I was only like 18 years old. I went on my vacation for those two weeks. And I've made like, this was way back then. So I, mean, I made like over a thousand dollars, you know, like I, I was making, I made over a thousand dollars, like in a week and a half mm. cash tax free. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I could do this. So I ended up going back to work and some I let somebody use my car and I was driving probably 45 minutes to work because I got promoted. I was about to be a manager. And the wind, windshield was caved in. Mm. I couldn't get to work, so I quit. And I started doing mixtapes back then. I started with just 10 tapes and I would sell like 10 tapes and I was selling for $10 a piece. I would sell 10 tapes in an hour and that's $100 an hour. Then mm -hmm. I went from 10 tapes to 30 tapes to 60 tapes. And then I started getting employees and everything just blew up. We had people all around the world coming to the Compton Swap Meet. Matter of fact, 
if you were if you're a rapper on the east coast you had to come to the compton swap meet you mm. had to everybody did it big daddy came i could just name a whole bunch of them even if you were no matter where you were if you were a rapper you had to come to the compton swap meet and a lot of people even west coast rappers used to come and give me their music and ask me to put their music on my mixtapes because we were selling that many wow and you know just to listen to this journey i'm just visualizing incredible early on you had that hunger you had that heartbeat that you understood like winner takes all you was willing to put things right in front no matter what the you know outcome or cost was and a lot of us who are in urban communities can relate to that unfortunately i didn't get to dj but trust me i did try to mess around as soon as i had a little record playing try to scratch with it and whatnot it didn't work out so i figured this ain't gonna work for me but I surely love hip hop and it definitely did change my life. And a lot of people who are listening to us today will relate to some of this, like Run DMC and this rapper and that rapper. But there is a connection that happens for us when we understand we are making money the right way. We are doing something that we love and here we are making money off it. Like you can't beat that. There's a lot of times when I'm talking to youth who are you know aspiring to rap because we fit the bill they some of us are very talented and we've put the work in to to work at this but just like any sports it is very difficult to get called into these lines into these companies into these record companies just to help our listeners who are aspiring to do that can you share how difficult it could be to get picked if any and why people just relate to selling their own underground stuff instead of having to you know get a deal well the latter part of that is easier now because you have the internet you have social media back then you had to you had to get on the grind mm. you had to go to the record stores you had to go to record companies knock on doors make phone calls send uh, uh demos out and 99 percent of the times nothing was going to happen but the thing with me I loved music so much, especially at the, at the beginning. It, to me, in the beginning, it wasn't about money. <clears throat> it was just about fun. And since I enjoyed it so much, and then I guess just me being at the right time and the right place, and I was good. Hmm. Now you don't have to be good. But if you're good, you stand out. And I guess I stood out and things just started going for me. And me being the person that I am, the type of man that I am, people could see it's not a fake persona. It's me. I'm real. Mm -hmm. I'm honest and truthful. And I guess people can see that and they can feel it. So a lot of people just wanted to be around me and used to invite me everywhere to their, their homes, um, be to studio, video shoots, movies, all that. So awesome. um, I would just say, just be yourself, stay true to yourself and, and do it out of love. And then everything else will come and follow through. So right now, after you take this tour, and I want people to understand again how difficult this can be. This is not just, oh, I know Snoop Dogg or I know this person. I can work with this person. I grew up in this area. You really have to deal with real life situations. You come off from this tour and come back. What happens to your relationship, your family relationship then when you get back? When I came back home, that's funny you asked that question. When I came back home, I was I was freshly married. I was newly married. And me having 
my three boys are, you know, I had my one at the time. And then me and my ex had, had left and then I ended up getting, so when I got remarried, my ex had gave me my other two boys. So I have three of my boys and then my new wife is pregnant. And I went on tour. When I came back, her whole attitude was different. Mm. She changed. How was that teaching. for you though? It was hard. It was extremely hard. I'm thinking I got this woman who loves my, loves me and loves my children, and she didn't. <laughs> she didn't love my children. It was fake just to get me. Mm. So that was difficult. It made me want to stay home a lot more. However, I still have my office in Compton, but I'm living almost two hours away in a place called Apple Valley, going towards Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So it was it was real difficult. The whole time was 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 real difficult. I kept doing what I was doing. I stayed in the studio. I stopped recording people. But I just kept doing uh, music. And so eventually I ended up getting my music on uh, TV shows and movies and stuff like that. So I was still able to to handle my business. But it was hard coming home to that, loving your children, knowing that the woman that you're married to is not treating them like they need to be treated. So it yeah, was you know, They say sometimes that the great ones have difficulty finding their match. And many a times that could go both ways. It could be the man. It could be the woman. So in this case, you are producing, you are trying to create a comfortable opportunity, sounds like, and then you come home to that. And that, again, to me, when I read your story, was part of more of the respect that I had for you, because any other person would be like, listen, I'm not going to give up this for that. You balanced. You said, listen, my kids come first. I'm going to try to figure this out one way or the other. I will have to organize myself. So, you know, shout out to you, whether you had the means or not to really stay true to that. So once again, that's something that we honor and respect because a lot of times men get a bad rap in such a situation. So I want to lift us up whenever we do have that opportunity. So as we're moving forward, your success in music does continue in 2010 you know, getting placed on BET, MTV, and other outlets. You moved towards talent development in 2013. What was that like for you? It was natural. I was already like a a life coach and a mentor to many people. And so me, it was, I started managing my son first, my oldest son. He was, he came out with his first album. um, He had just turned 18 years old. 11, 11, 11, that's when it came out. Mm. Um, and he was already being developed, <laughs> him per se, personally, because I had him in the studio with me when he was a baby. I used to bring him to the studio with me. He was raised in that studio. However, you still have to teach, because I had I had much more experience. And then we did the, uh, we, we produced his album. He actually produced the whole album. I was there on every song, though, but he actually did the music. And he wrote his own raps, his own singing parts and everything. Mm. Um, I molded him to be the man that he is today. But at the time, he was like coming between 17 and 18. Um, He wasn't running the streets like a lot of people, but he's no angel either. Mm -hmm. So it was like me trying to be his father and manage him at the same time, which can be difficult, especially once a man turns, you know, 18, which... I don't I didn't start calling myself a man till I was 23, till I became a single father. Mm. I had two cars, my own place, a lot of women and money. And I still didn't cons- consider myself a man till I took on that responsibility. 
But um, it was fun. We did the whole album ourselves, um, pressed it up and sold it like I sold all this other stuff back in the day. And he did well. And then he started selling this stuff because I was I became a um, football coach. So I didn't have as much time as I, I did. And plus, I had my other two boys. So he took it and ran with it. And it was it was real cool. And he's, he's so tell us a little bit about that. How how rewarding that could have been for you and obviously for him, because since you had the talents, you know how to put this together. You knew the mistakes that he may or may not potentially commit. You were able to stop those. How gratifying was that to see your boy now taken off in this industry? It's more gratifying to me today than it was then. I um, have a I'm extremely humble and sometimes I'm too humble. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff goes over my head. I, I'm not going to say I take it for granted, but to me, I'm just being me. To me, I'm not doing nothing special. But this last, I don't know, year or so, this last couple of months especially, all the praise that I'm getting, that I've been getting, I took that for granted. But now I'm starting to see that the things that I've done, all the people that I've helped and the sacrifices that I've made, it means a lot. Mm. It means a lot. And, you know, my oldest son, you know, the Christmas card he gave me almost brought me to tears. And he said some things um, to me about two years ago. Um, <sighs> yeah, I was talking about legacy and I was going through some a situation or some situations mentally and emotionally. And um, I expressed it to him and he said. The man that I am today is because of you. I am your legacy. You did all what you're supposed to do and some. And so now, since I've been working on myself, I'm my guards are down. I'm not so hard as I used to be. So I I learned how to accept praise because at first I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm more happy now than I was then, even though I did more work then than I do now. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that beautiful moment. And you know, when you have kids, you you try for them not to be like you. And I know that be you try you. from a place of a parent to do what you can to have them not step in the areas that you stepped so they won't make those right. mistakes. So there's a fine line for us to draw, but a lot of respect for you in that regard, you being able to keep your foot on the gas, so to speak, because many a times when we are faced with adversity those of us again who are born on the urban side of things things are not given to us so we truly no, understand we truly you understand fight for everything yeah yeah so many a times the fight that we have to have even when it's a normal procedure i found myself sometimes answering someone on a telephone call and i feel like i got to fight to get what I what I actually wanted. Like, I've been here for 10 minutes. Like, is this because, and now you start getting into different bags for that, but people don't understand that for us, when we're not handed things and they're not given to us, we have to fight and grind. So a beautiful moment such as that, you can see the difference that you've made in your son's life and maybe other students who you probably thought don't remember what you did for them when you started your foundation, probably can't remember the museum, but you may have touched them in ways that they today are probably saying, do you remember that time we went to that museum and they're taking their kids? So 
trust and believe you probably are not hearing them, but they are out there, you know, acknowledging you. So big up. To I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate no, big up to you once again for even in the middle of this, taking on the work of a, like a football coach, being able to do other things because you found that your work was not done and that fight all the time. So respect for that. You know, one thing that I was thinking about when I started thinking about this, usually when I start the show, I always tell people to start out with what they're working with. And we went backwards. So now we've landed here sort of backwards planning. Tell us what you're currently doing and what are you working on now? I'm currently doing nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, uh, what I'm, I'm working on a um, podcast that I want to start. Mm. Uh, I can't tell you the name of it yet, but it's going to be based on West Coast rappers. I'm going all the way back to the first rapper that ever did a record, did wax, did vinyl on the West Coast. Mm. Um, and as I've been doing my research, I talked to the first rapper about two weeks ago that ever did a record. It's a duo. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Jiggle, Jiggle Daddy. Mm-hmm. And um, I talked to him. He, he gave me the history. And it's actually two of them. It's another guy called Captain Rap. Um, so I'm going to have them on my show first. Mm-hmm. But I know so many people that it's going to be easy to get guests because I haven't burned any bridges. I've been in the game for a long time. Even though I've been out of it for a long time, I haven't burned any bridges. So I can always make a phone call and say, I want you on my show. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm working on right now is, is that um, I'm going to interview all the rappers, all the producers, all the DJs, everybody on the West Coast. And then eventually, you know, maybe things that, you know, come from certain people um, from the East Coast, too, because I'm not against the East Coast. But I'm just pro West Coast. You know, I'm going to have to sharpen my rap game up then before you get to me when I get to your show. <laughs> but nevertheless, I cannot wait to like see this unleash beautiful i mean oakland you got so many people bay area there, there is so yeah. much talent out there cannot wait to like hear this unfold rich yeah and I, as i was doing my research with these first uh record companies i've worked with a lot of these old cats some mm. of them are not here anymore but i worked with them and i didn't even know how in depth they were in the game mm. but now i know since i've been doing my research so it's gonna be fun for me to do this I already have my DJ. I might have a location already. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna come out soon. I'll make sure you you involved some kind of some type of way. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Damon. But yeah. nevertheless, blessings your way for that. Now let's talk about you, the author. Um okay. this book, you know, when his ways meet yours, when you love you, will he follow suit? Like, can you can you tell me a little bit about why you put this book together and what should we be looking for? Well, I was actually married to the woman I just told you about. Being in that relationship inspired this book. Mm. It was a nasty relationship towards the end, especially like the last last year we were together. We were together for five and a half years. Um, and as we were going through this relationship, I had started to, uh, at the, at the particular time, I was trying to find out who I was. I was trying to find me mm-hmm. and I was looking outward instead of inward. I started going to church. I was reading the Bible. I was reading, uh, motivational, inspirational books. I'm praying and I'm meditating. I'm doing all of these things. 
for myself, which was working for myself a little bit, but um, it wasn't working for her. So what I started to do was just pay attention to myself. And that's what I'm putting in the book. When you love you, he will follow suit. Hmm. So when I love me, everything else outside of me, I will attract better to, to me. So as a, I remember my father called me when I was writing the book and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing a book. He said, about what? I was embarrassed to tell him because I had already been through two, two, two marriages. Mm-hmm. And he said, tell me. And I said, it's, you know, it's a relationship book for women. And he said, you're the perfect person. You had the experience. Mm. He inspired me to complete the book. But wow. um, basically what the book is about is telling it's, it's about self-help, telling you, making sure you love yourself and stop looking outside for that validation. Mm hmm because you're never going to get it. And if you do get it, it's going to be temporarily. Well, you talked about spirituality a little bit. How much has spirituality played, A, in your music career, in your life, in your family life? How important is that 100%. I don't even listen to the music that I used to listen to. Mm. And I didn't mention this, but I was in Puerto Rico for six months. I've been back. This month makes a year. Last month makes a year. Um, it was like I was on a like a a spiritual cleansing healing because I've been mm-hmm. through so much, you know, with, you know, the PTSD, childhood mm-hmm. trauma, anxiety. Um, I even went through a, 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 a time where I was depressed. I, I had a lot of depression mm-hmm. and it wasn't that long ago either. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a religious person anymore. I'm more spiritual. Like you use the word spiritual. Mm-hmm. I'm a believer and mm-hmm. it has helped me come along like. The way I move today, I've never moved like this before. Like you said, you always have, we always have to fight. I'm tired of fighting. I've been fighting my whole life. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fight no more unless I have to. Mm-hmm. If my back is against the wall, you have to do what you have to do. But And I mean that not just physical in any way. Mm-hmm. So at this point in my life, I'm content. Mm-hmm. If this was in the past, I wouldn't be content. I'll be hustling, bustling just like everybody else. But I'm content right now. And it's because of the spirituality that I've come to know God is in me. Mm -hmm. God is not out there. God is in all of us. So now that I'm learning how to love myself and every time I read my book, it helps me. And I wrote it. Mm. So a lot of people look at the messenger instead of the message. When I was in Puerto Rico going through what I was going through, I was talking to a friend of mine that I've known, um, you know, for about 25 years. And I'm going through this anxiety and this depression, trying to heal myself. And I'm talking to her and she had bought the book. And she said, everything you're going through is in the book. Mm. And she was saying it like I wasn't listening to my own words. Even though I wrote the book, you don't just change overnight. But every time I, like I said, every time I read the book, it does help me. To, it reminds me of what I, I need to get back in place. Mm. So that's like when people say, you know, like you have preachers and, you know, these politicians that's out there doing wrong or, you know, falling short or sinning or whatever. You got to listen to the message and not just look at the messenger. But spirit, to get back to your question, spirituality has helped me then and especially now. I'm more focused now. I have, I'm at peace now. Um, I'm not attached to anything. I'm not running, chasing nothing. And I'm not fighting anymore. 
Mm. You I know, Dr. Dr. Elaine um, Pentahue, just to like paraphrase a bit, says the word power. Says, you know, power is when we use it in a way that is going to benefit others while benefiting ourselves. So you having that opportunity to have someone outside of the realm who has your book, who says to you, wait, but I am seeing what you're telling me right here. The answer is right here. And sometimes we don't know where the answer is because we're looking in different places for it. And you may have had the blueprint to it because you created the book, obviously. Right. But there are areas that you are better prone to help someone else than to use that advice to help yourself. Well, a doctor needs a doctor. Mm. A therapist needs a therapist. A psychiatrist needs another psychiatrist to help them. And so my thing, I've always been out, I've always helped other people. I didn't even know how to help myself. Mm -hmm. That was my problem. I didn't know how to help myself. I wasn't used to helping myself. I wasn't used to looking at myself. So when I got in that position, when I needed to help myself, I didn't know how. And all I kept hearing was be still every day. Be still. I didn't know how to be still. I'm used to hustling, bustling, going mm -hmm. to make this money, going to this school, going to, you know, going to work, going to this job, opening up this business, you know, making these phone calls or receiving phone calls, buying somebody this, helping somebody. I was always giving, giving, giving. I didn't know how to give to myself. I didn't even know how to receive love for myself. But now I do. And now wow. I'm at peace. I'm at peace. I mean, now. words can't even be put together to kind of emulate the energy that I felt in your response. Mm -hmm. Being able to focus on thyself when you hardly know how to do that must be the most difficult of times to be able to admit to thyself and say, hey, I am struggling right now. I need to make a move for myself. So once again, hats off to you and for all of us providers who avoid burnout by working towards getting better, seeking help. You asking someone for support does not make you any different. It just Amen. says, I'm going to get to the finish line. I just right. can't get all the answers on my own. We need that team aspect. Now, when we're thinking about your life coach kind of hat and when you are helping your clients that seek your services, how do you feel when they come to you and say, I don't have the answer mm -hmm. to this. Can you help me? How can you support them? And what do you try to do to support that? Just to be supportive. I used to um, give, I used to give a lot of advice. I don't really give too much advice now. I give advice, but I mainly just listen and may say a couple of words here and there and let them come up with the answer themselves. Because mm. when they come up with the answer, they can feel it even better. And if I come up with the answer, they're going to run with it. Okay, it's the difference between motivation and inspiration. When you're motivated, it's like a locomotive. When it runs out of gas, that's all you have. But when you were inspired, inspired means in spirit. So if you're inspired, it's in your spirit, it's inside of you. So you can hold on to it a lot longer and you can receive more from it than just being motivated. So I like to inspire people versus motivate people. And our listeners have benefited, obviously, today from a great, inspiring man who uses his actions to kind of motivate 
without using any accolades. It's really about the work that he puts in. Whatever he finds to be fit for himself will be what he may try to tell it to, to help someone else listening, which is a major skill in how we do that. When we are thinking about the strategies that you may have without giving too much that's in your book, can you share with us what are some things that our listeners can benefit when they purchase your book? Once again, learning how to love themselves, mm -hmm. being passionate about themselves, um, finding themselves, finding the spirituality, not, not religion, but the spirit in them. And then there's another thing, too. This is a good one. It's called unconditional love. We're not taught, we, everything that we do is because of a condition. Mm. We're not taught unconditional love. Our parents don't even teach us unconditional love because if you do something wrong, you're gonna get a whooping. And it's not just teaching us, you know, or, or, you know, it's, you have, people don't have compassion anymore. Everything is, they don't want you to be selfish, but they wanna be selfish. They don't want you to be selfish because they want you to do what they want you to do and not you do what you want to do. And if you do what you want to do, you're selfish. And I don't even like that word. So I like, I came up with a word called self-full. Mm. Tell us more. Because I used to give from a half empty cup and you're supposed to give when the cup is running over. So that's what I'm teaching in the book. Fill your cup up and whatever you give, but whatever you give from yourself from others, that's the extra. Mm. But you have to be full first. And a man can't do it. A woman can't do it. Your kids can't do it. You have to do it. So this book is explaining to you how to do it. Mm -hmm. And like I said, every time I read the book, it helps me. It inspires me more. So it's about inspiration, not motivation. That's The world tells you motivation. You have to be the strongest, the fastest, the smartest. That's not always true. Just be true mm. to yourself. And life will carry on in your favor. I love how you tapped into what we all know about being on an airplane as the parent and the oxygen mask comes down. Instead of putting the oxygen mask on your child, you put it on yourself first. A lot of people don't understand the concept behind that because they feel it's a debate. The nerves are in, you're working fast, and you may think in a rush situation who is going to help your child if you are not around? So that's why you have to help yourself first. When it's yeah, even, even on that, I've been on hundreds of planes. Mm -hmm. And whenever I hear that, my instinct is to save and help. But realistically, if I don't save myself, how am I going to save somebody else? Like you said. So we have to, I've, I've been working on that on myself. And I had a um, someone was contacting me yesterday in a frenzy, mm -hmm. they would, they text me, you know, you could tell they were screaming and hollering, crying, anxiety and all this stuff. And normally the first thing I would do was just pick up the phone and call them, but I wanted my peace. So I didn't call and they were texting me, you know, so I waited for about 45 minutes. When I called, everything was calmed down. Mm. Then I was able to talk to them without feeling their pain because I'm an empath. And sometimes it hurts being an empath because you can feel other people's feelings, mm -hmm. good or bad. 
but I'm, I'm I have balance now. So I worried. I took care of myself before I made that phone call. And when I did make the phone call, they were still, you know, full of anxiety. But I was able to keep my peace. And when I got off the phone, I, I gave myself props for that. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of times listening is a skill that we all have to learn how to work on, right? And I, I, I guess you understand how far you can go for yourself. And because of that, you are measuring what to do in a moment when someone really needs your help. But once again, you kind of showed us that if I can't take care of myself, if I'm not going to be able to focus and be prepared, I won't be able to do that. Now this person was able to soothe a bit, be in a better place, probably use tools that you have shared before. And now yeah. they're at a better location that when you did call, they were still in the midst of the crises, but at a different kind of angle. Now they're ready to bargain. Yeah. They're not no longer in that weaker standpoint where they can't make a relative decision without second or third guessing what they're thinking about. Now, when we talk about you and your self-care, what do you do and I know that we've already talked about the spirituality and music, but what else do you do for your self-care? How do you stay home? I go to the gym. I take walks every day. I've been walking for years. Mm. I've been walking for years. And now, um, like, I didn't know what self-care was. But I'm learning self-care now. I mean, I mean, even if, like, say you go get a, a pedicure or something, that's self-care. Mm -hmm. you know or you go get a meal and you really, really don't want to go to this restaurant because it's an expensive restaurant you just like i want to go over here and then you're like wait a minute i'm going to get what i really want that's self-care to me it's something it's things that small it doesn't even have to be big um yeah stuff like that i mean i went to a, a lauren hill concert um a few months ago uh, my son actually bought me the tickets but if he didn't and i went that's called self-care mm-hmm it's taking care of yourself, but you do have to have balance with that too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I do I do simple things, man. Even if it's just taking a walk or going window shopping at the mall or something. Beautiful. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with your boys. I know how special that is to you, but how important is that relationship for you? It's extremely important, especially that I raised them. You know, um, my youngest just bought a car about a month and a half ago. Um, I have two that live in Texas. Mm -hmm. And I talked to him the other day and he bought a Jaguar. He's only 21. He'll be 22 next month. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's too much of a car for a 21 year old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. too expensive, you know, and the, 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 the I mean, the brakes, the, the tune ups is going to be expensive. And I was like, well, you know. I worked for a car dealership and I was a fleet manager and internet manager, right? <laughs> he says, yeah. I said, well, what, what happened? He said, I, I don't call you often and I didn't want you to think that I was only calling you when I need something. And I said to him, you can call me for anything. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I used to get upset when they started growing up and um, they, 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 they wasn't calling me. But I had to realize they're growing up and they have their own lives. So I don't take it personal anymore. Um, me and my oldest, we talk the most because mm. my other two, and I have two more daughters too, with mm -hmm. that last wife I told you about, she stopped me from seeing them years ago. 
Mm. I went to court for over a year. She ended up moving out the state, so I couldn't see him. It was terrible. But with my boys, um, I just learned to accept them as they are. And if they don't call, they don't call. If I have to call them, I'll call them. But I don't take it personal no more. I know they love me. I've been told that. They told me I'm I'm their hero. Um, they look up to me. So I know this. So, mm. you know, I don't call too many people either. So I can't get mad at these for not calling me when I don't call these over here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's I, I love my boys. They love me. Um, it's about legacy. It's about legacy. No, thank you for letting us in on that a bit and and just listening to you and this beautiful walk of yours that continues to be a great journey. And we're looking forward to all the things that are coming for you. And so many people that you've met and touched, can you think about a person who ever so often comes into your mind, whether they were gone too soon, whether they required your help and you changed their life? Is there someone that you think about random that sometimes comes to mind because their story was so impactful that reminds you to keep doing what you're doing? Is there such a person? It's so many. I would say my oldest son. Mm. Why? He, he's been there. I had him, I got him when he was like three months old. And he acknowledges to me, like when he turned 21, I ended up moving to Texas. So my two boys had to go with, back to their mother and he didn't have a mother, but he's 21 at this particular time. And I taught him how to make money. I taught him how to hustle. I taught him how to be a man. So eventually um, he started working at Denny's and all the people used to say, your mom did a great job with you. To me, that's a stereotype because they wouldn't say that to other races mm-hmm. but since he talks a little bit different walk takes care of himself and he would always say no my dad raised me and the acknowledgments that he gives me and tells me how much he loves me and tell me without me he would be a different person i, I would have to say him i would have wow. to say him yeah but I've, I've made a difference in a lot of people's lives somebody just called me two days ago from jail um yeah, I made a big difference in a lot of people's lives. I mean, so many. It's, it's so many. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Well, we are we are honored of having you here today because you've already given us, and I'm all the way here on the east side. And when I get to see a man of your stature being able to show the angles of your story, the vulnerabilities, the successes, and still walk in that humble pace still create opportunities for the next man, still thinking about how to better someone else before you better yourself, says a lot about who you are and who our young men need to emulate. So I'm very honored to have you here, Damon, real. And, and I appreciate really, um, Look forward that you and I will stay connected, obviously, in different ways. I'll let you know how things are going for me and vice versa. I'm excited about everything that's coming for you. And you've already laid the groundwork for so much. So I'm honored to have you here today. And our listeners obviously got a great treat. Before we let you go, the floor is yours. Open mic, just tell us what you want 
everyone to remember about you, maybe about the plight, maybe about what to do when doors close. Tell us what you think people should be thinking about when they're running into those obstacles. Keep us inspired. I would say, look at this video. Simple and plain, look at the video. I can tell you anything and everything, but every all the questions that you asked me, I spilled my truth out. And to me, if I just start talking right now, it just, you know, look at the video, save it, um, subscribe to, to his channel, <laughs> do all that. Just look at the video when you need to be inspired. And you can also pick up my book, When His Ways Meet Yours, uh, on uh, on Amazon. We're revamping my website, which is mywordsofwisdom.com. We're revamping it right now. It'll be back, back up in another month or so. Mm -hmm. But um, go to Amazon when his ways meet yours. That's said I got five stars on it so far. So, so we're going to also have it on my website. So I'll have a link to Amazon for it on there. Okay, that'll work. I, so I'll, I'll send it to you. It'll be something that our listeners are definitely going to enjoy because of what you bought for us here today. Each okay. fall is like an opportunity to rise stronger. Everyone's unique quests will dispel the doubts and the shadows of skepticism. For us who are coming from urban communities, you know what I'm talking about. We keep rising to the top, no matter what it is. Because on this platform, we don't get overlooked. As people, those of us who got labeled and talked about, this is no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Tune in friends to another He's Just a Social Worker show coming to another town near you real soon. We out. What's up? Compton's in the house. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jules. Likewise. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just at He's Just a Social Worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa. This is dedicated to you, Mom. Miss you so much. En memoria de mi madre, Matilde de la Rosa, esto va dedicado a ti, mamá. Te extraño mucho.